and Aaron and, and kind of assumed in the people as well that God is doing these things, that God is in control, that God has a timeline. Well, finally, here we read, yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh, and after that, he's going to let you go. I don't know that we can kind of fully grasp how big of a moment that would have been for them. To hear that, okay, this timeline that you expected has been prolonged greatly, but now here's the moment. This is what's going to happen, and then God is going to make Pharaoh let you go. So now really what we're saying here is, is God is put to the test in a sense. But the thing is that who puts God to the test? Well, God does. He says, here's what's going to happen. There's no more confusing timeline. There's no more uncertainty. There's just the fact you are going to go. But before anything happens in that regard, Moses is told to tell his people to go and ask the Egyptians for silver, gold, and jewelry. Now, here's why it's important to read the narrative of what you're studying and not just random verses. If you looked at this and you went, okay, 10th plague of Israel, and you kind of just summed up and you went, so now they're going to ask to be freed, but they haven't been freed. Uh, in fact, slavery has gotten worse and worse and worse, and now you're supposed to go ask the Egyptians, give us, give us gold, silver, and jewelry. Does that make any sense? But if we remember back to chapter 3, and this is verses 21 and 22, it says this. I will give this people, so this is God speaking, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, and so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This prophecy given when their spirits were crushed, when they went, but, but God, Pharaoh said no. And God says, it's not Pharaoh that's in control, it's me. And I'm going to make it so that you do leave, and not even going to leave or make it so that you leave empty-handed. Because as, and again, God is sovereign, he knows what's going to happen in the wilderness journey, is they're going to need provisions, they're going to need ways to trade with other people so that they have the things that they need. So God is preparing them for this in chapter 3, and he reminds them of that here in chapter 11. This is, this is simply to say this, what God says will happen, will happen. The timeline might not always make sense to us, but God is faithful, and what he says he's going to do, he will do in his timing. Verse 3 then says explicitly that God gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. But he goes further and he says, Moses was given great favor in the land of Egypt, both over Pharaoh's servants, like everyone. And so what you see here is kind of this dichotomy that we've slowly started to talk about. Moses started out as nothing. He had no real belonging. He had no identity. And yet now he's about to leave Egypt with the respect, not only of his, his biological race that he has been part of, but now he's leaving with the respect of his enemies as well. They understand that God is using, the, using Moses in great ways. But on the flip side, Pharaoh started thinking he has all the control and he has all the power and he alone should be worshipped, not Yahweh. But as we've seen in these last few plagues, there's been statements like, Pharaoh, just let him go. Don't you see that Egypt is ruined? Pharaoh is becoming less and less and less prominent to the point where his own people are sitting there going, just let them go. You, Pharaoh, are causing these problems. Not Moses. It's your heart that's dealing with it. 
Douglas Stewart again points out something interesting. He says, the only person who could not see yet this was Pharaoh. God had blinded him to reason as a punishment for his oppressions and a means of demonstrating his divine power over the greatest human uh, potentate of the era. Now, here's the thing, and this, this was said so well. When we think of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, we look at that sometimes as, man, is, is this fair? Is this just? This, this doesn't make sense. Like, like, you should use him so that they, you know, like, so that he would repent of this. But what we're forgetting here, and, and, and this is the challenge, so we think of people like, maybe we think of Judas, who betrays Jesus. Or maybe we think of Pilate, who, in a sense, was already prophesied that he was going to be the one to sentence Jesus to die. And we go, how is this kind of free will? How is this choice? We see it's much more complex than that in this sense. Is at the end of Genesis, Joseph has gone into Egypt as a Hebrew. And through Joseph and through specifically God interpreting dreams of Pharaoh, the nation of, of the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, saves Egypt from certain death and famine and starvation. And at the beginning, the Pharaoh at that time, looks upon Joseph with great kindness and great reward and says, bring all your family here. Let them live here where there is food, where we're ready. Uh, Other nations are starving. Bring them here. We want to bless you. And so the reminder goes back to Abraham. God promised what? Who you bless, I will bless. And he who curses you, I will curse. And so there was great blessing on Egypt as the, the Pharaoh of Egypt at that point softened his heart towards God. But what we see now, and this is way before God begins to harden Pharaoh's heart, is he says, man, the people are too many. We've got to enslave them. We have to take away their dignity. We have to take away everything that they have because we have to rule over them. So what God's doing is no less than what God has said to Abraham. Those who curse you, I will curse. Now, the history of this should be very clear for the Egyptians. The fact that Joseph came in and was second in the whole land to Pharaoh, this is not some arbitrary person. He was second in charge, and he wasn't even an Egyptian. This is a story well known. And so when Pharaoh begins to turn, this current Pharaoh turns away and enslaves the nation, and he refuses to let them go before God hardens his heart, what we already see is one who is opposed and against God. And the reason that I bring that up is because what we're saying here is it's not as though God went to some innocent person and went, I'm just not going to let you have a choice here. What God's saying is you've had many choices, but you refuse to do what's right. And so there are consequences to that. There are consequences that happen both now to Pharaoh himself, to the people for following after Pharaoh. And, and you see this where some, some are still following Pharaoh in the sense of, of refusing to let them go. Others are arguing, saying, no, let them go. Their hearts have been softened. And so you can see two parts of this, and that's what, that's what Stewart points out. It's a, it's a punishment for the oppression, but it's also a means of demonstrating God's power over the greatest human potentate of that era, is God saying to his nation, look, I'm in control, not Pharaoh. And when you read the narrative further, and granted this is much further, but when you get to the book of Joshua, 
and all of a sudden they're going to go and invade Jericho, we see this one woman. What is her name? Rahab, prostitute. As far as culture is concerned, she's worthless. And God goes, no, no, she's got in, in immense value. And she says to the Hebrew people, word of what God has done to rescue you from Egypt has reached my ears. All the way in Jericho, what God did to rescue his people spoke loudly. And she said, this is the one true God I want to submit to. And so she is saved, and not only is she saved, but when you get to Matthew chapter 1, what do you find? Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus. Those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. It's not as though God's being unjust. The the problem is that God is being just, and we don't like what justice is sometimes. I heard it said once in Bible college, and this has sat with me so well, is we all want justice when we're the offender. Sorry, we all want grace when we're the offender, but we all want justice. No, what did I say? Did I get that right? Hopefully you know what I mean. Is when we've done the wrong thing, we want mercy. But when somebody's wronged us, we want justice. Well, which is it? Can you have both? Well, God's saying, I alone know what's right, and I know what's just. Verse 4, we'll get back to this in a minute, but in verse 4, Moses, uh, he doesn't, this is a unique thing. He doesn't go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He simply says, here's what God's about to do. Pharaoh, for your rejection, for your unwillingness to let the people go, here's what God is going to do. Every firstborn, every firstborn, no matter how prominent or how lowly in your culture, is going to die. Not only people, but animals as well. And there's going to be a cry of despair greater than any cry that is ever heard in the land. But there's a distinction, and God's people will be kept safe. And that's what Passover is, and we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks here. But I want to go back to something because it's very interesting. This idea of the firstborn. Back in chapter 422, Moses says this to Pharaoh. This is before the plagues have come. He says, thus says the Lord Israel, sorry, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I will say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now we on this side of things, we don't like this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing. But there is a sense that back in these cultures, and, and the law is about to be given in chapter 20 of Exodus, we'll get there, but there's this sense that commentators talk about this world was very broken, and there was fighting, and there was violence everywhere, and, and the one way to stop this was to go, if you kill someone, you're going to be killed. If you knock someone's teeth out, your teeth are going to be knocked out. Not because God doesn't want mercy and grace, but because God is trying to show his people, look, you are going to be people that you do not treat others wrongly or unjustly or unfairly the way that you had been treated in Egypt. You're not to do these things. We'll see that more as we get to chapter 20. This idea of the firstborn dying here now, this is God saying what he has said he would do. It's fulfillment of prophecy, not some arbitrary punishment. 
And again, there's no simple answer. When we think about all these people that are going to die, the firstborn of everyone who is in the Egypt clan, every single person, their firstborn will die. That's hard to swallow, and I don't want to pretend like that's easy for us to understand. Now, certainly there's a connection here with Pharaoh deciding that he's going to kill all the babies, all the firstborn men are going to be thrown into the river. Certainly there's that eye for eye, tooth for tooth kind of sense of Pharaoh with what you have done is going to be done back to you. But then it becomes difficult because it's like, well, what about the consequences of this? Yes, Pharaoh, okay, maybe we can, maybe we can wrap our minds around that he deserves divine punishment. What about everybody else? And this is the reality that all of us have to live in, and some of you are maybe very well aware of right now in your life. Our actions don't only affect us, they affect others. Sometimes they directly affect others, and sometimes they indirectly affect others. And maybe someone in this room is on the flip side of that, where other people's actions have directly or indirectly affected you in a very negative way. And we can say that's not just all that we want. And we can say that, man, how is this? How is a God who is a God of mercy going to arbitrarily kill all these innocent people? And again, I don't have easy answers for this, but I want to take you to Scripture to help us get. But one of them, the first thing is this Who is innocent? We use that word very arbitrarily. See, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul's making an argument because people are really upset about the fact that, okay, I have sin, sin nature due to something that my you know, great, 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 et cetera, grandfather did, and somehow that is on me. That isn't fair. And Well, Paul makes this argument. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. But then in verse 17, he gives the good news. For if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? See, Paul argues this, and maybe you've heard this many, many times. The wages of sin is what? When God created man, he he said to Adam and Eve, here's the reality. I know what's right and you don't because I'm God, I'm your creator, and I've given you everything for good. This is the one thing, don't do this. Well, they choose their own way and sin enters the world. And God's specific consequence was this, if you eat of that tree, you will die. Again, God's not being arbitrarily unfair. He's laying out the ground rules and saying, if you, if you walk in blessing, you'll live in blessing. If you walk in obedience, you'll live in grace and mercy. But if you choose your own way, you'll get your own way, and your own way leads to death. And so it might seem not fair, man, and maybe, maybe there's a sense of this, is maybe you're struggling with something like addiction. And you're going, man, because my great-great-great-grandfather, there's a huge genetic component to addiction. We go, I'm suffering because of the decisions of someone years before me. How is that fair or right? I don't know how to say if it's fair or right, but I know to say that it is just because man 
not just Adam and Eve, but you and I, constantly choose our own way instead of God's. Even though we have scripture in front of us, even though we see the consequences to actions, even though we see and understand all of these things, we continually choose our own way. And despite that, Paul argues in Romans 5, Jesus comes to offer grace and mercy to every person who has ever lived. And so yes, the consequences are incredibly harsh in the sense that because Adam sinned, now everyone stands condemned before God. But also, Paul's going, but now look at the flip side, is the grace is just as extreme. Is that through one man, Jesus, we all have the opportunity to be saved. Commentators will argue about this idea that God hardening Pharaoh's heart, sometimes it says Pharaoh hardens his own heart. This isn't God choosing someone who was moldable, someone who was going to repent. This was someone who was the worst of the worst that the world had ever seen to that point. And he was using him for divine justice to teach all the nations who was in control, who we should worship, and why. And we're going to find out all these whys as the text goes on in the coming weeks. Again, it's not as though God's just arbitrarily up there squashing people going, well, you're, you're, I don't like you and I don't like you. God's deeply grieved by sin and deeply grieved by the consequences of sin. In fact, if you remember the story of Lazarus who dies, Jesus' friend, kind of the, it's a Bible trivia moment, but it's actually the second shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus what? wept. Why did Jesus weep when he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead? He wept because of the consequences of sin. That Lazarus, his friend, should never have died because mankind was not created to die. But they chose their own way. And so Jesus is grieved by the consequences of sin, by the reality that we find ourselves in. And this is the same for us. And so we can kind of say, well, it's not fair that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Or we can say God chose to harden Pharaoh's heart so that his mercy and grace could be just exploding across the nation so that even in Jericho, people would see and go, I need to follow this one true God because he alone is the one true doesn't make it any easier for us to go, why wasn't Pharaoh given another chance? Why wasn't all these firstborn people given another chance? But I think this is where if we step back and broaden our perspective, we start to see that it's, God is not killing innocent people because none are innocent. Again, Tozer always said that the bad news is that my sin is infinitely worse than I ever could have imagined. The good news is the grace of God is infinitely greater than I ever could have imagined. Is sometimes I think in our culture, in our world, in our time specifically, we've bought into this narrative that we're innocent when what Scripture teaches us is the wages of sin is death. What Scripture has taught us is that I deserve nothing good. I don't deserve any grace or mercy. In fact, the only thing that I should get is a completely holy God looking at me and saying, you're, you're not enough. And yet the rest of Scripture as we read, it teaches us that God was unwilling for that to be the end. Yes, all I deserve is death. 
The wages of sin is death. I've ignored the second half of that, verse 7. But, what does it say? The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The bad news is awful. And it's way worse than we could have imagined. And my heart is way worse than I ever dared dream. And I'll never see the infinite beauty of God's grace if I don't acknowledge the wickedness of my own heart. And when I see that and I go, I do not deserve this grace and this mercy, that's when we see songs penned like Amazing Grace. It is well. People who have acknowledged that they're not owed anything, and even the next breath that they take is a merciful gift from God. At the end of the day, here's what I read. I read about a God that I cannot fully comprehend. There's consequences to decisions that I don't really fully understand and, and I can't fully grasp. And I see one side of the coin where I see God's justice and how none of us can live up to that. But on the other side, I see God's goodness and his mercy and that I don't deserve any of that. So this is why John 3.16 is probably the most well-known Bible verse. For God so loved who? Everyone. And here's where I don't know how to process this, and I'm just letting you in my mind of going, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to grasp this, is that God loves Pharaoh more than understand. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to wrestle with that except for the fact that what God is doing, I'm going to submit myself to say he alone knows what is right and what is good because he alone has created all things. He alone is just, and I am only just when it matters to me. And so I hope that as we consider and as we think about what's going to happen here and And obviously, we're going to talk about the significance of Passover, the blood on the doorposts leading to the blood of Jesus. We're going to talk about all of those things. But as we process here the threat that God makes, it sounds like God is vengeful and angry, but only if we just read this section. If we read the whole story, what we see is such a much richer view of who God is. The challenge is the Bible is a big book. But I guess that makes sense because God is a big God. Verse 9 becomes the theme for all of this, and we've said this many times. God says, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. God is showing not only Egypt, not only Israel, not only Jericho, but to the ends of the earth that he alone is God, and in him alone will we find satisfaction. In him alone will we find mercy and grace. In him alone, as we humble ourselves to what is right and true and learn not to redefine things on our own, I'm going to experience God's blessings that give me purpose and meaning and hope despite my circumstances. D.A. Carson says it this way, The Exodus is the greatest redemptive event in the Old Testament to which all subsequent Old Testament revelation points. We're going to read this in two weeks, but as we get to Passover, it's not as though Jesus is not already in full plan and in full view of God's redemptive act. This is already well in work. God in his 
infinite understanding of all things has made a plan for salvation. And we may not like it. We may think it's unfair at times. We may think the circumstances in our life are unjust. Or we can accept the truth that the reality is I've chosen my own way. The only thing I'm worthy of is death. And yet God has granted me life. Not only life, but he's given me hope. And not only hope, he's given me a purpose to declare to everyone who Jesus is that somehow, in some way, through maybe one thing that I've said over the course of many years, that one person might go, yes, this God is the one true God. And that means that I'll get to have a brother or sister for all of eternity. Not because of what I've done, because of what God's doing, but he's chosen to use me, and he's chosen to use you in that process. It may be easy at times to see the justice of God. But if we read close enough and if we read, if we, if we open our eyes broadly enough, what we see is justice and mercy are God's to define. And he has both of them and he holds them in his hand. I don't know what you're going through this week. I don't know what your situation is. But I know that sometimes it feels like God is far from us. I read this week from the psalmist where David cries out, God, why have you forsaken me? You feel so far away. Why do my enemies prosper? Over and over I've read of David's challenge and his difficulty. But over and over in other psalms I've read, and yet I will trust in you. Yet your ways are right and just. And so if you're going through a moment right now where you don't feel close with God and you're confused about your circumstance and your situation, know that everyone here can relate to you in some way. Because we've all been there. But don't stop reading there, but move forward to see that in the midst of all of that, while David says it feels like you're far away, God promises he actually never is. And so that we can hold on to him. So no matter what you're going through today, remember that God walks with you. That you have a church family that loves you and that will walk with it, walk with you in it. Let's pray. God, this is this is a tough passage. And there's difficulty in how to see and understand and try and grasp who you are, but the reality is we can never understand you fully. If we could, you wouldn't be God. You're the potter and we're the clay. And the truth of that is it's actually incredibly honoring to be your clay. And so God, as we consider, as we read scriptures like this, where there's lots of death, where it seems like the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is not a just act, would you help us to read beyond just the immediate text? Would, we help, would you help us to see the whole story of salvation? And would you help us to see both just how wicked our hearts are and yet how merciful you are? It is only by Jesus' mercy that any of us have any chance. And Jesus has offered that freely to us. 
so God, for each of us as we walk out the door here today, as we go off to the next adventure that you have lined up for us, whether that feels huge or whether that feels mundane and normal and small, help us to see that you are in work, that you are walking with us and that your ways for us are actually far better than our ways. That there are far more blessings in your in obedience to you because you have taught us what it means to live, to honor you and to honor people. So God, help us to submit to you in all things. And God, for those this morning who feel overwhelmed by life, who feel that you are maybe not close for those who are dealing with grief or hurt or addiction or pain. God, would you show them that you are right there with them, that you are calling on them to turn to you, and that as crazy as it sounds, that according to Romans 8, you have purpose in all things that we're going through. Help us to trust in you today. You are great and you are awesome and you are beyond anything we could ever understand. And that's great news. May we trust you this week. Amen.